have a seat, and we're going to sing one more song in preparation for Kyle to come up. But as I was on my way in this morning and just praying about the morning and, and thinking about just the confession of this song, that because of Jesus and because Jesus is who he is, the son of the living God who sacrificed himself, like he laid down, he says, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down. I mean, that, he defines that as true love, right? And I was thinking that of all the increasing evil in the world, what did Jesus say? He said, he said to Peter, he said, you are Peter, and upon this rock, he, he, what, he, what he was saying was, upon your confession that Jesus Christ is Lord, the Son of the living God, upon that I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. So what do we say? If we follow God, what? We can't lose. If we follow God, we can't lose. The gates of hell will not overcome our confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, who sets us free. Amen? So let's sing this last song and just proclaim to God who he is and that our hearts are his this morning. Let's pray together. God, we, we thank you uh, for this morning. We thank you for your word. God, we, we thank you that uh, you are our anchor. Uh, God, that anything else we would put our hope or our trust in, God, it will fade away. It will sink. God, may we cling to you, may we cling to the hope that we have in you, and the hope that we have in your son. Uh, we just pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. And go ahead and have a seat. Uh, because I get to speak every so often, I get the, you know, the privilege of making fun of my dad. Uh, so today, because it's his birthday, I thought, well, it's his birthday, I, I can't do that. So I didn't want to make fun of him today. And we threw a big party for him last night, and a lot of his friends showed up, even this is actually him and his best friend. Uh, he showed up last night as well. So and we had a pretty good time, to, time together. So uh, happy birthday, Dad. I wish him happy birthday afterwards. So anyway, uh, we are continuing. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15. We're continuing with our series uh, we've got a few more weeks going through Genesis. Uh, we're going to end on Genesis 19, but today we will continue in Genesis 15. I'm going to go ahead and read that for you. Here's what it says. It says, After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate, Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up to the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord, and it was credited to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who has brought you out of Ur, the Chaldeans, to give you this land and take possession of it. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? 
So the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all of these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated for 400 years. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants, I give you this land. Genesis chapter 5. If you go back to the first verse in Genesis chapter 5, God shows up. And as we're going to see throughout Genesis 15, and we're going to see with Abram here, is that he's going to have his doubts. He's going to question God. He's going to doubt God. But every single time, God shows up in his doubt and meets him with a promise. And what's true for Abram is going to be true for each and every one of us as well. So there are great lessons for us to learn in the story here in Genesis chapter 15 of Abram. So it shows up and it says, After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. So at this time, Abram is scared. We see it. Now, why is he scared? This would take us back to Genesis chapter 14. In Genesis chapter 14, Abraham rescues Lot. And so now he's back and he's scared. He is terrified that they are going to come and they are going to retaliate against him. Again, uh, doubting of God and his providence and provision. But God shows up. And it says, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. And when we see this, and it's the only time this, this idea, this word of the Lord came to Abram. It's the only time in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, that we see this language. The word of the Lord showed up. Now, you're going to see it often if you read and go through and you, you read the stories of the prophets. This is how God communicated. He would show up and he would speak to his prophets, right? Well, here, God shows up in a way that he doesn't do any other time in the Pentateuch. The word of the Lord in a vision shows up. And what this meant was that God literally, audibly speaking to Abraham, speaking to him, telling him, all right, Here's what I got to tell you. And in this case, he tells him, do not be afraid. I am your shield and your very great reward. Now, I don't know how you would respond to the audible voice of God. For me, I, you know, we know that God still speaks to us through his word, through, through, uh, through his spirit, through the voice of, of other believers that would, would speak encouragement to our lives, but to hear the audible voice of God, I, I mean, I, hopefully I would respond, right? I'd step up, oh, this is the audible voice of God. I got to listen. I got to listen to this. But as we see in this communication with Abram and God, he doubts, and God again shows up with a promise. Listen to what he says. He's scared. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your very great reward. Isn't that awesome? 
God shows up. I know you're scared. I know you're, gonna, you're afraid they're going to retaliate, come against you, but I'm your shield. I'm your protection. I am your great reward. What a great promise he speaks to Abraham. So Abraham, here's his response. Abraham really, as we see here in verse 2 and 3, he's, he's still scared. Listen to him. But Abraham said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? What can you give me? You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. So we see, he doubts, God shows up with a promise. He doubts, oh, you're a shield, you're a great reward, but God, I got no children. He starts complaining. Again, he doubts God. And again, what does God do? We're going to see in a famous portion here in Genesis 15, God shows up. Again, as Abram doubts, God shows up with his promise. Listen to verse 4 and 5. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son. Coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and he said, Look up at the heavens and count the stars, if you can indeed count them. Now, as we look through this portion of Genesis chapter 15, much like many of the stories in the Old Testament, I, I, I thought this was a good quote. It's, it talks about the Old Testament may be likened to a chamber, richly furnished, but dimly lit. In other words, as we read through the Old Testament, there are rich truths to be seen. Yet it's not until we get the New Testament and we see the light of the New Testament that sheds light on the Old Testament that we can truly appreciate and see what the truths are. And Genesis 15 is a great example of this story. As we look at the story of Abram, there are great truths to be found in it. But it takes knowing the whole story, the story of Jesus coming, God, man, coming to earth, right, to shed light on the Old Testament story. And so we're going to look at it. So as we see the story here, Abraham's, uh, God's words to Abraham, he took him outside and said, look at the heavens and count the stars. If indeed you can count them, so shall your offspring be. What, what a promise he makes to Abram. Abram doubts, God shows up with a promise. He says, Abram, I know you don't have any kids, but I'll tell you what. You go outside, you take a look, look at my creation, look at all the stars out there, and your offspring, your nation, is going to be far greater than what you can see. Can you get that image? Can you get what Abram is seeing? How blown away he must have been. So blown away, here's his response. In verse 6, it tells us this, Abram believed the Lord and he credited to him as righteousness. He believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. So we see the doubt and God shows up with a promise. We see the doubt of Abram again. God, I got no children. I know, hey, you're my shield protector. Great. But I got no children. I got no offspring. I got no heirs. God again shows up with his promise. But it continues on. Verse 7, he says, he also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. Okay, so Abram had a doubt. God shows up with his promise. Abram's got a doubt. God shows up with promise. Now you would think, as God continues to show up with his promises, that Abraham might get a little confidence. 
But verse 8, here's what he says. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? How can I know that I will gain possession of it? Doubt and a promise. Doubt and a promise. And again, a little more doubt here from Abram. But it's a different, it's a different doubt. You see, in the beginning, Abram was doubting God. He was scared. Hey, God shows up. I'm your shield. I'm your protector. I'm your great reward. Then he was doubting God. God, you know, I, I got no air. I've got no scent. God shows up. Hey, I'm going to make it like the stars. Here, Abram is doubting who? He's not doubting God anymore. In fact, verse 6 says it was counted to him as righteousness. His belief in God, his faith in God is counted to his righteousness. But now in verse 8, what do we see? Oh, sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? His doubt goes from doubting God and who he is and his greatness and the promises that he has to doubting himself that he can follow through, that he can carry it out. We see more doubt from Abram, but it's different in that it's dwelled on and it's focused on himself. Before his doubt was in God and now his doubt is himself. I think, and we will look at God's response to Abram, but before we do that, I think there's a lot of lessons in this for us. As we experience probably doubts in our own life, I don't know if I can probably speak for, for most people here, but as we look at our own lives, whether our present condition or past circumstances, we've probably had doubts. And maybe they're doubts in who God is. Maybe they're doubts in, in God's word. Or maybe there are doubts in who God has created us to be. And I, I think from the story of Abraham and the, the story we'll see really from many people, figures in, in the Bible, that this is, this is a real struggle. Doubts. Either doubting God or even doubting who God has created us to be. Remember, Ephesians tells us that we are God's workmanship, and he has created good works in advance for us to do. God has created something great for our lives. God has created things for us to do, but so many times we can doubt ourselves. We can doubt our place. We can doubt that, you know, does God really want to use me? You know, man, i, I got this sin in my life. I, I've got this. This is my past, and we doubt. Or maybe we, we doubt God in general. Maybe we doubt the existence, existence of God. Maybe we doubt something we read through the scriptures. What we don't want to be is we don't want to be a group of people or a church that discourages questions. I think too many times in the traditional church in America today, oh, you can't doubt, got to have faith. No, no doubting, got to have faith. The problem is when we don't allow people to ask questions, when we don't allow people to doubt, what we create is skeptics because people are never getting their questions answered. They're never getting their doubts met with a promise. And so we as, as followers of Christ, we as a church, we want to welcome people that have questions. We want to welcome doubts. We want to welcome questions people may have so we can then Help them realize the promises of God. Help them realize the truths found in God's word so they can get those answers. They can find who God is, his plan for their life. Doubting is not bad. Doubting is okay. And, and what we see here, and we see it here in the story of Abraham, but we see it throughout 
really throughout Scripture. And I think one of the greatest examples of this is in the story of the most famous doubter, right? Thomas. And if you would go to John chapter 20, you'd see this story of doubting Thomas. And Thomas, in his doubt, he wasn't there. Okay, Jesus has risen, he's come back, Thomas hasn't seen it. And so he tells the disciples, you know what, until I touch his hands, until I touch his side, there is no way. There is no way I'm going to believe what you're telling me here. And so we go to John chapter 20 and we see the story of Thomas and Jesus shows up. He says, all right, Thomas, touch my hands, touch my side. And in the story of Thomas and in the story of Abram, we see how God deals with doubters. That he doesn't, and I mean, you think of a, an almighty God and he shows up three times to Abraham and Abraham's still doubting him. You would think he said, you know what, you know, knock it off, quit it. But yet still in the doubts, God still shows up and reveals his promises to Abram. And with Thomas here, he does the same thing. He says, all right, Thomas, I know you don't believe. Touch my hands. Touch my side. Okay, you've seen it. But you know what God does not allow us to do? He does not allow us to stay in our doubt. I think it's okay to doubt. It's okay to question. Throughout the scripture, through the, the, the great heroes of the faith, go to Hebrews 11, and you see people like Abraham, people who questioned God, people who doubted God, and yet now, because of their faith, we see them in Hebrews chapter 11, the great hall of faith. People who once doubted God. God is okay. We come to him with our questions and our doubts. But like Thomas and like Abraham, what he does not want us to do is to remain in our doubt. And he says to Thomas, he says, okay, here's my hands, here's my side, now quit doubting. If we have questions, if we have doubts, if we need answers to things that we don't understand, that, that's okay. Come to God with your questions. Come to God with your doubts. We have a God that, that listens, is open, and even as we see in the story of Abram, we see in the story of Thomas, he welcomes them. And he wants to reveal his promises to us so we won't remain in our doubts. And, and so think, think of your own life, wherever you are or where you've been in your past, God is okay. If today you are asking the question, you know, who, who is this God? Who is this Jesus, his son? Who is this? I, I need more answers. Come to God with those questions. What God wants to do is he wants to reveal his promises to you so you do, won't remain in that doubt. If you're struggling and, and you're unsure with God's plan in your life, come to him. God has created good works for you. You are God's workmanship. He has a plan for your life. And just like he did with Abram, God had something special. God was going to do a work, a mighty work through Abram. And God wanted to reveal that to him. And through his promises, wanted to show that. Come to God. If you struggle, if you have doubts, if you have questions, it's okay. Come to God. He wants you to come to him. And he wants you to show, he wants to reveal his promises to you. So we see it, it's okay to doubt, but he doesn't want us to remain in our doubt. And so here is Abram, once again, O sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? Once again doubting. And here is God's response as we see through the end of the chapter. 
Verse 9, so the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer. And this always seems a little odd. Okay, you're doubting. Here's the solution. Bring me a heifer. Uh, Bring me, let's see, bring me a goat. Uh, How about a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon? It just seems awkward, doesn't it? I mean, it seems like, what, what is, what's going on here? He's doubting, you know, bring, bring me some animals here. So he, he brings the animals. It's almost at this point like Abram knows exactly what he's going to do. So see in verse 10, so Abram brings all of these to him. So he goes and he gets what God has requested, and then he brings them, and here's what he does with them. He cuts them in two and arranged the halves opposite of each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then the birds of the prey come down the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. So it's kind of like he knows what God is asking. All right, bring me these animals, cut them in half, set them on each side. Now, that makes a lot of sense. But here, here's what's going on. So this is the picture right here. Is a- Abram goes, and he gets these animals. He cuts them in half, and he puts one half on this side and one half on the other side. And he kind of creates an aisle in between them. Okay, so you got these cut-up animals on this side, these halves on this side, and right, right in between them is an aisle you could walk through. Okay, so we're going to get to that. But in today's culture, our culture is a little different, obviously, from the culture back then. In today's culture, if you were going to make a contract with somebody, what would you do? Well, I work in real estate, and so we have contracts often. And so what we do is we have a written contract. All right, in it, we talk about, okay, here's how much a house is. Here's how many days we get to do a home inspection. Here's some earnest money. And there's all these little contingencies and everything else in a contract. Okay? And if the contract is not met, then there can be consequences for not living up and not fulfilling the contract. Right? Okay, so we have these contracts in place. You don't fulfill them. There are consequences to these contracts. Well, in Abram's day, it was a little different. Okay? Uh, in Abram's day, and there's a verse in Jeremiah 34, 18, and if you know the story in Genesis 15, and then you read this in 34, 18, it starts making a little more sense as you put them together. Here's the story, and if you just read this verse, you're like, what in the world is going on? But here's the story, uh, the verse in Jeremiah 34, 18. It says, the men who have violated my covenant have not fulfilled the terms of the covenant they made before me. I will treat like the calf they cut in two and then walk between its pieces. Well, that makes a lot of sense. But here, here's what is going on. Our day, we have a covenant, a contract that looks like this. Back in Abram's day, what they would do for their covenant, what they do for their contract is, I don't know if, if there's any actors in here, but what you would literally do is you would act out the consequences of if you did not fulfill the covenant, if you did not fulfill the contract. And so what's taking place here, both in Jeremiah 34, 18, and back in Genesis 15, is they are acting out the consequences if this covenant is not fulfilled. If the covenant is not fulfilled, I'm going to cut you in half like you did that calf, and then you walk between the pieces. So what Abram is doing, and was very typical in this time if you were making a covenant or contract, they would cut them in half, put them on each side, and then to say, all right, here's the contract, you would walk between the two pieces pieces on this side pieces on this side you walk down the aisle you say okay I'm going to fulfill this contract and if I don't guess what I'm going to be cut in two like these pieces I'm going to be cut in two like this heifer and this ram so on and so forth so what he's saying is all right here's our contract 
I'm going to walk between it. I got it set. I know what God wants here, right? This is what God wants for me. We're going to set it up. Well, what was also typical in those days is if the person who would walk through the aisle, walk through and make the covenant, was always kind of the subject, all right? So if I had a king and he had his subjects, it would not be the king who walked through the aisle. It would not be the king who would then bear the consequences if this covenant was not fulfilled. It would be the, the subject that would be. So if I went and conquered, because I'm very kingly-like, but if I was a king and I went and conquered another land, my subjects of that land then would make a covenant with me and they would walk through this covenant and if they failed to fulfill this covenant, guess what? I could cut them in half. I could get rid of them. I could cut them off because they did not fulfill the covenant and the consequences were just as we laid out. We would cut them in half. So Abram is coming before God and he responds probably how I would. Okay, this is the almighty God, the living God. Clearly, I am the subject here, right? He is the king, I am the subject. So I'm gonna lay these out and I'm gonna walk in between them because I'm the subject. But as we know and as we see in the story here, is that that's not what God had in mind. That's not God's plan. That's not how God is going to make this covenant. So here's what happens. Verse 12, it says, As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Get this picture. The sun is setting. And then all of a sudden, here's Abram. And as, as I read through the different commentaries, they, they kind of all said, you know, a Abram is, it says deep sleep, but it's really, it's not him sleeping. It's just kind of almost a state that he's in. Because here is what's taking place. It's here, the sun is setting, and then all of a sudden, there's this darkness. This, this thick and dreadful darkness literally meant and translated a darkness of terror. That this isn't, hey, it's just really dark outside, but it's a darkness of terror. Kind of this, this, this uh, spiritual darkness basically is falling upon Abram. That's what's going on. This is the scene that is happening. Sun is setting and all of a sudden there's this darkness that has come over him. And it's said, as I was reading through many of the commentaries, it's almost that it was such a dreadful state but he was still in some sort of probably awakeness that he was not literally sleeping. But this is just the state of what's going on. This thick and dreadful terror, darkness of terror comes over him. And then in verse 13 it says, Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own. And they will be enslaved and mistreated for 400 years. But I will punish the nation there serve as slaves, and afterward, afterwards they will come out with great possessions. He's, of course, talking about the captivity in Egypt. Then he continues, You, however, will go to your fathers in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. So God makes this promise, again, in his doubt, God shows up, makes this promise, this covenant with God. And you would think, as Abram being the subject and God being the king, that to keep this covenant, Abram would walk through the pieces. 
But here's the scene that happens. Verse 17. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot and a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. What in the world is going on? Well, these are the same words that are used if you go and you look at the story of Moses on Mount Sinai. It's the same words that are used. And what this is, is they are emblems. They are a symbol of the presence of God. That with this smoking fire pot and this blazing torch, God himself is there. So read verse 17 again. It says, when the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared. And what did it do? It passed between the pieces. The presence of God shows up. And instead of Abram walking through, and instead of Abram saying, you know what, if this covenant's not fulfilled, I know I've got a big role in this. I'm going to walk between the pieces, and I know if this covenant's not fulfilled, I'll walk through it, and I'll suffer the consequences if it is not carried out. But instead, what does God do? God shows up, and God walks between the pieces. And and just get that picture in your mind. The second word there is blazing torch. And a blazing torch, the word there is literally, it's like lightning. And so you get this picture of walking between the pieces. I mean, just this is an incredible scene. A smoking fire pot and a blazing torch, which literally in several places is translated lightning. So as, as Abram is looking at this, he's seeing this incredible scene, this fire pot, and then this almost this searing lightning that is just remaining in place as it goes and it walks through the pieces. Isn't that an incredible image? Imagine the scene. Abraham knew, Abraham knew in this, that God was not simply reiterating his old vows of what he had promised, but God was doing something far more. God was making a promise and an oath, a covenant to Abram. God was doing something those people who had been conquered would normally do. He was taking the lesser position. And he's telling them if he wouldn't do it. So here it is. If he wouldn't carry out this covenant. Remember the consequences? The person who made the covenant walked through the pieces. If they did not carry out the covenant, what would happen? They'd be cut off. They'd be cut in half. What God is saying He is the one making the covenant, and I'm going to walk through the covenant. So if something breaks this covenant, I will be the one who is cut off. It'll be me who dies. What an incredible thing. The king, the conqueror, and yet he is the one walking through the pieces. He is the one making the oath. An awesome thing. What is just almost as incredible as the fact that God is laying this upon himself is the fact that who doesn't have to walk through it? If you read through the story, we see Abram doesn't walk through it. Abram is not the one walking through the pieces. It is God himself who walks through the pieces. And who doesn't have to walk through the pieces? Abram. He's saying, 
God is saying, I will pay the penalty if I'm not faithful to the covenant. I will pay the penalty if you're not faithful to the covenant. God is bearing all the risk upon himself. This blessing is unconditional. He's saying, I'll be torn into pieces like these carcasses, not you, if this covenant is not fulfilled in any way. This is an unconditional grace covenant. And I'm sure if it's Abram, he probably had no idea how this was going to look or how it was going to work. Because like I said at the beginning, he didn't have the light that we have now. He didn't have what, the knowledge that we have now. And these stories in the Old Testament make a lot more sense when you know the story of the New Testament. God becoming a man, Jesus coming to earth, dying for our sins, raising again. We have that. We have that picture. So he may not have fully known, but here's a glimpse to what's going on. Mark 15, it says, At the sixth hour, darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Get the picture. Jesus on the cross and what falls over the land. A darkness, a terror, a darkness of terror and dread falls over the land at noon of all times. A darkness falls on the land, much like the same darkness that Abram had experienced, Genesis 15 there, when a darkness, a terror, darkness of terror and dread fell over. Same thing happens at the cross. And at the cross, listen to Isaiah talking about it. Isaiah 53, 6 says, He was cut off from the land of the living. Speaking of Jesus, the Messiah. Cut off from the land of the living. Jesus himself speaks the word, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus cut off that covenant. How can it be met? How can it be fulfilled? How can God who is immortal, become mortal? How can the impossible become possible? This is how. How can that covenant be met? It can be met because of this. Because Jesus went to the cross. Because that darkness of terror and dread fell upon him. Because he was cut off. Because God himself turned his back. On Jesus, because Jesus died. Jesus experienced all this, and why did he do it? Why did he do it? For us. For us. So that we could have this covenant relationship with God Almighty. It had to be done, covenant was broke. We broke it. Only Jesus could pay. Only Jesus could be cut off. Only Jesus could give his life up. Listen to the words in Galatians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. It says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through 
Christ Jesus. We, we can receive that blessing. How? Because of Jesus. The bread and the juice are up here. They are emblems. They are symbols for us to remember that Jesus was cut off. That Jesus was forsaken. That Jesus faced that dread and that terror. That Jesus gave up his life on the cross so that we could enter into a covenant relationship with God the Father. And no matter what, it's not us walking between the pieces, is it? It's not us. It's Jesus. So despite our weaknesses, despite our failures, despite our sins, that covenant relationship has been paid because Jesus went to the cross. The Bible tells us, and if we would believe in our heart and confess with our mouths, we should be saved. We shall be saved. This happens through this covenant relationship with Jesus, trusting God and believing in his son Jesus, believing in the finished work of the cross. The band is going to come back up here. We are going to have a chance to respond, a chance to remember Jesus who walked between the pieces for us. It doesn't matter how big a failure you are. It doesn't matter what you've done wrong. It doesn't matter the sin in your life. If you enter into a covenant relationship with God the Father and you realize that what Jesus Christ has done for you, you can be saved by grace. For it is by grace you are saved through faith, not of anything of ourselves. just like the story of Abram. Nothing he could do. That covenant was in place only because of God. And God was the one who was going to pay the price. The same is true for us. There is nothing that we can do. Jesus has walked through it for us. All we need to come and do is confess, God, I'm a sinner. I'm a failure. I need you. I need you in my life. Let's pray. God, we, we thank you for this story of Abram this story of God for all of us, a story of you meeting us in our doubts, you giving us your promises that, God, as we doubt, you remind us of your promise. And God, here this morning even, there are doubters. For sure, there are doubters. And, and some of us doubt maybe the existence of you. Some of us doubt maybe the finished work of Jesus that has been done. God, we pray this morning that you would meet us with your promises in our doubt. God, some of us doubt our, 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 that we've been created. We are your workmanship, that we've been created for these good works. God, we doubt, God, the power that lives within us. God, meet us with your promises. God, meet us at our doubts. And as you said to Thomas, I've met you. I've shown you. Now quick doubt. God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that, God, he was cut off, that he walked between the pieces, that he became, he became that curse. God, so we didn't have to. God, as we take the bread and the juice, remind us of Jesus, his body that was broken, 
his blood that was shed so we can have that new covenant with you. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. it says this when God made his promise to Abraham since there was no greater for him to swear by he swore by himself saying I will surely bless you and give you my descendants and so after waiting patiently Abraham received what was promised verse 19 it says we have this hope as an anchor for the soul firm and secure we have this hope as an anchor for our soul firm and secure you know, if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, know this, that, that he, he has given his son. He has given his son for us. And he, he alone is the only anchor in life that matters. We, we can focus and we can, we can put our lives on our jobs, our families, our friends, our circumstances, and they're going to sink and they're going to sway. But it is only by his name, only by the name of Jesus we have that anchor, an anchor for our soul that won't waste, that won't move, that won't sway to and fro. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, man, that we could grasp a hold, that we could know that anchor for our soul. If you are here this morning, and maybe you are like Abraham, maybe you're like Thomas, maybe you're like about any other figure in the Bible where we have doubts, we have questions. Know this, that God wants to meet us there, that God in his promises wants to meet us there, wants to show himself and reveal his promises and his truths to you. Let's pray together. God, we, we thank you this morning. We thank you for Jesus. God, we thank you for this anchor that we have. God, may we as we look at our lives, God, and as doubts and questions arise, God, may we cling to this anchor. God, may we, may we hold to your truth. May we hold to your promises, to your covenant. God, we, we want to hold firm to that because there is by no other name we are saved. There is no name as great as yours, our anchor. We thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Lord of all the earth, we shout your name, shout your name, filling up the skies with endless praise, endless praise, Yahweh, Yahweh, we love to shout your name, oh Lord, shout it out, Yahweh, it's Yahweh, Yahweh, we love to shout your name, oh Lord, we're so glad that you were here this morning. Go in the powerful name of 